0: Hello and welcome to the Herbert Smith Freehills Japan Corporate Crime and Investigations podcast. My name is Yosuke Homa and I'm a Senior Associate and Registered Foreign Attorney for Corps Jimut Bengoshi in our Tokyo Dispute Resolution practice. I'm joined today by Jeremy Birch, James Alsop and Joel Rubin, each of whom I'll introduce as we go along today. I'll be hosting today's podcast where we'll look at the trends so far this year in enforcement based on extraterritorial, anti-bribery and anti-competition legislation and regulations. We'll start off with the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, or the FCPA. I'll turn to Jeremy Birch, who is a partner in our CCI practice in our Hong Kong office. Jeremy, what have we seen so far this year from the US Department of Justice and Securities Exchange Commission in terms of enforcement against companies? I've read that it's been a little quiet.
1: Thanks, Joske. Before we look at the year so far, it's probably worth briefly touching on last year to put things in context. So, 2020 was a record setting year for FCPA enforcement, with total corporate fines and penalties of around just over 2.8 billion US dollars from 32 enforcement actions by the DOJ and SEC combined. While historical enforcement records don't tell the whole story, even looking at the first four months in 2020, which is obviously a shorter period than where we're up to uh, this year, there'd already been three corporate enforcement actions or resolutions. The statistic was the same for 2019. So things do tend to kick off relatively slowly in the first few months of the year and pick up. In comparison, 2021 has been sluggish so far, with only one corporate enforcement action so far in nearly six months that sole enforcement action was Deutsche Bank's 123 $123 million US dollar settlement to resolve the DOJ and SEC's investigations announced on January 8, 2021. This is something that would have been mostly wrapped up in 2020. The dearth of enforcement action in 2021 is most likely linked to President Biden's inauguration on January 20. As you can imagine, a change in administration at the White House typically results in change of government personnel as well. So The new Attorney-General leading the Department of Justice, Merrick Garland, was only sworn in on March 11. Many of the prosecution team of the DOJ would also have changed. A prime example is the departure at the end of April of Christopher Sestaro, who used to head the DOJ's FCPA unit. He's now joined private practice. Over at the SEC, Gary Gensler was confirmed as the new chairman by the Senate in mid-April. However, Alex O, the newly appointed enforcement chief, abruptly resigned at the end of April, only days into the new job, citing a complication in a case that she was involved with while in private practice. These changes at the DOJ and SEC will no doubt have had a significant impact on the progress of active cases. However, we don't expect the current lull to continue, given there are still over 100 companies that have previously announced they have ongoing FCPA-related investigations. We expect that the number of enforcement actions and new investigations will eventually pick up once the new staff of the DOJ and SEC uh, settle into their roles. However, given the slow start, it may be difficult to match the enforcement statistics for 2020.
0: Thanks very much, Jeremy. So the wholesale personnel changes may be one factor that is in play. What indication has there been so far this year in relation to the DOJ or SEC's approach to enforcement
1: actions under the FCPA? There's actually been a recent announcement from the White House, which on June 3rd published a memorandum on establishing the fight against corruption as a core United States national security interest. The memo sets out a clear statement that the Biden administration will be focusing on the fight against corruption under this term. The White House has ordered an interagency review process, which includes the DOJ, among others, and the development of a presidential strategy to bolster the US government's ability to fight corruption. There's also a focus on international cooperation, information sharing and enforcement actions. It'll be interesting to see what the new president sorry, presidential strategy will focus on as a result of the interagency review. We do expect that this will result in a significant uptick of FCPA enforcement actions against corporates um, outside of the US in due course. However, the current lull may continue for a little longer while this interagency review is underway. In the meantime, I would encourage all of our clients in Japan and elsewhere in the world with potential FCPA exposure to ensure their compliance programs are up to date and well resourced.
0: Thank you for updating us on that interesting development, Jeremy. I now want to turn to James Alsop, who is of Council and our Tokyo office, to discuss corporate enforcement actions by the Serious Fraud Office in the context of the UK's Bribery Act. Again, I believe the story is somewhat similar in the UK, uh, not much to speak of in terms of enforcement action so far this year. Is that correct?
2: Thanks, Joske. Uh, Yes, I think um, I think that's that's a fair summary in terms of corporate enforcement actions, Um, fairly limited developments so far in 2021. Um, The only real development of note was that at the end of April, the SFO announced that they had secured a guilty plea from GPT Special Project Management Limited for one count of corruption, contrary to Section one of the Prevention of Corruption Act 1906, um, which was the pre-UKBA legislation. Um, GPT is now a subsidiary of Airbus, who I'm sure many of our listeners will know, was itself subject to some record breaking fines from multiple enforcement agencies last year. Uh, GPT was involved in uh, providing telecoms capability to the Saudi Arabian National Guard Uh, in sentencing. Uh, the judge ordered GPT to pay a confiscation order of just over £20 million, a fine of just over £7.5 million and costs of just over £2 million. Uh, And the criminal trial against three individuals is scheduled for uh, May of next year. But other than the GPT conviction, um, little corporate enforcement action um, to note in relation to corruption, Uh, although prosecutions against individuals are continuing with the conviction of Paul Bond, uh, a former sales manager at SMB offshore in February, and that was the fourth conviction of an individual linked to the unit oil bribery case. Interestingly, the SFA has actually been under some pressure regarding its caseload, with some commentators flagging that it closed 10 investigations in 2020, but only opened five new ones. Um, There's also been two further investigations closed so far this year um, into BAT, PLC and and KBR, UK subsides. Um, But the mood music coming from the director of the SFO, Lisa Osofsky, um, is clear that as far as the FSO is concerned, it's a question of quality, not quantity. Um, she has um, been very clear that she wants the SFO to be working on the right cases. And she wanted to basically clear house and get rid of some of the older investigations that um, that were in place, where there was um, questionable evidence available before she took over um, and, and moved forward.
0: Thanks, James. So it's certainly a slow start of the year so far for the SFO two. Um, what can we expect for the rest of the year in the
2: UK? I mean it's a good question. Um, and I think we we can get some indication from the um, SFO's business plan, which was published um, last month in, in May of this year. Um, that gives us uh, an insight into the SFO's current thinking. Um, and there are there are three themes which um, I'd, I'd flag in relation to that business plan. The first um, is in relation to DPAs, deferred prosecution agreements. Um, the SFO highlights in the business plan um, that it is um, the only UK prosecution agency to have successfully used DPAs as a prosecution tool and that it's worked with a number of jurisdictions to share experience with successfully implementing the DPA regime. Uh, Ms. Afoski also commented last year that she considers that DPAs give the SFO a unique leverage to drive better corporate citizenship and make companies better. Um, And that in a way it was better than a conviction uh, and a fine, given you cannot put a company in jail. So I'd expect to see more instances of the SFO seeking to use DPAs in corporate enforcement action um, moving forward rather than just pushing for a conviction. The the second point is around cooperation. Um, There's a lot of emphasis in the business plan and the SFO's ability to work with the international economic crime law enforcement community. Um, in particular, the fact that five other countries' law enforcement agencies were involved in the unit oil investigation was highlighted in the plan. The the biggest cases handled by both the SFO as well as the, the DOJ and the SEC um, have very much been multi-jurisdictional. Um, and I think it's very likely that we'll continue to see this trend um, of international cooperation amongst um, law enforcement moving forward. And then finally on performance, one of the key priorities flagged in the plan is the delivery of a new case progression project to ensure that investigations are progressed quickly uh, and to effectively deal with issues that might hinder this um likely linked to this is the adoption of clear and specific KPIs to monitor case progress so i think it's clear that the SFO is you know is under pressure to deliver on its promises of, of prosecuting the most complex cases of fraud and bribery and corruption uh, and this new focus on performance and accountability uh, is perhaps uh, a message from the SFO that it's focused on um, answering its critics um, over the uh, over the coming months and years. Um, what's not clear is whether we'll see uh, a meaningful uptake in corporate enforcement actions across the rest of this calendar year or, or whether that's going to be a longer term play, um, but we will be monitoring the SFO's progress with interest and updating clients across the rest of the year.
0: Thank you very much, James. I want to now turn to Joel Rubin, who heads up our competition team in Tokyo. How has 2021 been so far in terms of competition enforcement actions?
3: Thanks, Yosuke. Uh, I think it's fair to say that the focus of competition regulators so far into 2021 uh, still very much remains on on the large digital platform companies, uh, as it has been indeed for the last few years. There have been a number of investigations opened up into the, the so-called GAFA companies as to whether their commercial practices constitute an an abuse of dominance, uh, as well as new laws here in Japan and elsewhere that impose uh, additional obligations and, and prohibitions on digital platforms in order to maintain competition in, in digital markets. That said, competition law isn't just about digital markets and and companies in a range of sectors need to ensure that their commercial practices remain compliant. In particular, we expect that the economic impact of COVID-19 is likely to lead to both to an increase in cartel conduct, uh, because this type of conduct becomes more attractive when when companies suffer economic difficulties, but also cartel investigations. So we recommend that companies look at their internal competition compliance programs uh, and that they consider whether they are still up to date uh, and also uh, even consider whether a compliance audit might be worthwhile uh, in order to identify any potential competition law infringements. Another recent development that companies should be aware of is an ongoing expansion of competition law into new areas where it, it didn't traditionally play much of a role. So, for example, privacy or, or big, da- big data. Uh, one of these areas that has gotten quite a bit of attention recently is the environment and sustainability. Uh, and in particular, when whether, whether and when cooperation between com- competitors in order to promote environmental goals. Uh, so, for example, setting standards in, in manufacturing will be acceptable under competition law. So both the, the Dutch and the UK competition authorities, for example, have, have recently issued guidelines on the acceptable limits of environmental cooperation. Uh, Similarly, the European Commission uh, has just issued a proposed regulation- that would allow it to review the impact of subsidies and other types- of financial support by foreign governments on competition in the EU. Uh, So, for example, where a foreign competitor may be able to compete- aggressively in the EU market- because it's supported by financial support from a from foreign government. Um, if that financial support is found to have distorted competition in the EU, um, then under this proposed regulation, the European Commission would be able to impose a, a range of remedial measures, uh, which may include paying back a proportion of the financial support uh, to the European Commission. So Japanese companies need to consider the impact of competition law in, in many more parts of their business practices than, than ever before.
0: Thank you very much, Joel. To wrap things up for today, I'd like to thank my co-presenters, Jeremy, uh, James and Joel, and also all of our listeners for tuning into this Herbert Smith Freehills Japan Dispute Resolution podcast. Please subscribe to receive further episodes and please do contact us if you have any questions on the topics discussed today. Thank you again for listening and goodbye.